Wow, very good. See, this is why some of y'all should come and sit up in the front area, because then you got to get to hear everybody else singing in the room. Man, it's awesome. Y'all sang very well this morning, by the way. Man, hey, uh, my name is David Wilson. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, I, I am thrilled anytime I get to get up here and preach um, and share what I feel like God has, has shown me this week. Uh, I want to talk about peace and unity. Somebody say unity. Somebody say peace. All right, y'all with me. Peace and unity. What comes to your mind when you think about the word peace? For me, I think of like the depictions of the 60s and 70s, the flower child. You know, the bus that has like way too many people on it. Totally unsafe. What are they doing? You know, and it's all painted up with the peace signs and the flowers and all that kind of stuff. That's what comes to my mind. I think of sitar music. Y'all know what a sitar is, right? That really strange Indian instrument that kind of makes the plucky sound. Yeah, that's what I think of. And maybe if you press me a little further past kind of a silly example, I would say something like, um, the sun is rising. I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. Um, I'm sitting on a deck overlooking a beautiful, quiet lake that kind of has some you know, steam coming up off it. Because it's fall time, by the way. I've got my flannel on, and I'm relaxed just watching the sun rise. That sounds peaceful, doesn't it? Calmness, quietness. Is this maybe something close to what you might think of when you think of the word peace? I would venture to guess that it probably is. Now, when I looked up what peace meant in the dictionary, because this is kind of one of those interesting words where you have an idea of what peace is, and I kind of have an idea of what peace is, and you get what I'm trying to say. We all kind of have a, uh, maybe something similar, but it's hard to nail down what we mean when we're talking about peace. When I looked up in the dictionary, it's a cessation of war, freedom from disturbance. Have you maybe used that definition before or thought of it that way? That peace is a cessation or the absence of war? Well, here's the thing. Just like I've said, it's a bit fluid. It's one of those words that we use and we kind of know what we mean, but we're not really sure what you mean, and so we just kind of use it as one of those spiritual words that we know that we're supposed to say. We're supposed to have peace with God, or we're supposed to have peace with others, and we say things like peace, right? Like, but we don't really know what we're trying to say, and so I think it's important for us to kind of nail down biblically what the authors of the Bible are trying to say. What does peace mean? How does it translate to you and I? So I want to play a, a quick video for us this morning. It's by a group called The Bible Project. Um, if you've seen their videos, you kind of know what they're about. They explain things super well, and I want you to take a look and see if we can kind of get closer towards an idea of what peace really is. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. 
The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole, it needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. That's a great video, right? It explains it very well. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. I have a little more. I have a little more to go. Uh, no, it really is, though. It's a great video that really quickly defines what the biblical um, authors mean when they use the phrase peace. And I want you to notice something about the way that the Bible talks about peace. It's closely attached to God's presence and his purposes. Peace happens as a result. Wholeness and completeness happens as a result of God's nearness, his closeness, and our obedience to him and his purposes. This is exactly what the Garden of Eden shows us when God comes and says, don't eat of this tree. They listen and obey, and there is peace and goodness. It's only when they don't listen and obey, Adam and Eve, in the, in the very beginning story of the garden. It's only when they don't listen that peace is broken. God is the one who defines what is good and evil, and we are supposed to be living into our image-bearing vocation. You guys know what I'm talking about by now? Image-bearing vocation. We are angled mirrors. We are supposed to be like God, doing for him in the world on his terms. And any moment that we break those terms, we are out of alignment, out of shalom, harmony, wholeness, completeness with what God has envisioned for us to be. So we're always supposed to be living into this 
this vocational idea of being like God, doing for him on his terms. And when we are devoted to him, when we are after his heart, when we want his spirit filled within us, pouring out of us, then we'll find wholeness and completeness. Now then, relationally, if we're following God's definition of good and evil, then we will then begin to produce peace in our own realities wherever we are. Wherever we go and whatever we're doing, then we become peacemakers. So what's interesting, though, is that peace is not something that you and I create on our own. It's something that we bear forth. It's something that we carry on as a result of our relationship with God. In fact, peace is not something that we can sustain. And if you looked at any bit of human history, you would know that to be true. When has there been this peaceful, idyllic, utopian time in human history? Exactly. There's not an answer. And any time that it's been tried, peace has been tried through force or the threat of violence. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Like jumbo shrimp or something like that. Peace through violence doesn't make any sense. And so it's important for us to understand that peace is a result of what God gifts us and grants us. And we enter into a state of peace as a result of his initiative and what he does on our behalf. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 14. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace stems from God. Peace is sourced by him. It's not simply the absence of conflict. That's how the world views peace and the way that they get it is through warfare. But Jesus does not achieve peace through these normal means. In fact, the route that he takes is completely opposite. He does what Isaiah says in his, in his great um, uh, predictions about what the Messiah would be, the suffering servant. Jesus came to suffer and to die. He died on a cross even though he had done nothing wrong, had never sinned. And through his life, his death and resurrection, he accomplished the forgiveness of our sins and created a route back to wholeness and connection and peace with God. Colossians says it this way, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace through his what? His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in, holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the route to wholeness. This is the route to peace. And this is what the biblical authors mean when they are trying to talk to us about what peace is. See, peace begins to saturate our lives when we are connected to God through Jesus Christ. It's the submitting of my life to Jesus as my Lord. He then gifts me. I love the way that the video uh, describes it and shows it. You, you have just a normal black figure on the screen, and then all of a sudden, there's like this light that beams into them, and they become a light themselves. 
I think that's exactly what happens in this exchange where I receive Jesus as my Lord. I then have peace with him, and then he gifts me his very life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that then creates and sustains doesn't just create, doesn't just make it happen. It then sustains it and carries it forward, a state of peace between God and myself. And that's really good news. I mean, that is what the gospel is, is that you and I get the life of Christ because we've accepted his death. We've accepted what he's offered us, the forgiveness of our sins. So the biblical idea of peace gets applied in a relational sense between God and and us. And if it isn't simply about not being in conflict, and it's more about the active and continual benefit of my relationship with God, then I think that our ideas need to begin to be reframed to include these ideas. It's not just a coffee cup sitting on a lake. It's not just flower child and, you know, peace signs or whatever. There's something deeper and more, um, more rich and beautiful that God is trying to communicate to us about what peace is between he and I. And with this as the foundation, Jesus then calls us to be peacemakers. We're not just to be fine where we are now. There's more to the story We are to emulate Jesus, be like him, and do for him on his terms. And what he came and told us to do in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is he told us to go out and to be kingdom people for him. And what that looks like is becoming peacemakers. We're not just trying to accomplish quietness and calmness in our lives. When you yell at your kids at at the house, I just want some peace, what are you really saying? Someone said, shh, yeah, that's really what you're saying. What you're really saying is, I just wish everyone would be quiet so that I can get a little bit of quietness in here. That's really what you're saying, but is that really what, what we're trying to accomplish in our lives? Because the biblical idea of peace is not just quietness so I can think straight for a moment. That's, that's not all that it is. It's so much more. It is exactly as the video talked about, restoring things going into broken areas to create wholeness. And so we become people who actively seek to produce peace in our families and with our coworkers and with our neighbors and with our friends and so on. We're supposed to go out from where we are, armed with the Holy Spirit's power within us, becoming like Jesus Christ every day. And as we have peace with God, we then become conduits of peace wherever we go. Things like forgiveness and compassion and love and service and seeking to honor one another then become the new way that we're supposed to live our lives. This is not the way the world lives. This is not the peace that they're shooting after. But this is what we aim to be as we live into our image-bearing vocation becoming kingdom people who right wrongs and impact people through a love for Jesus and a love for one another. This is exactly what Paul describes when he says, there was an old way that I used to live. But Jesus got rid of the old stuff. And now there's a new way that I'm supposed to live. 
And this new thing that I'm doing is reframed and reshaped around what Jesus calls me to be, which is a peacemaker. So now that we've kind of understood the basis or the kind of the central idea of what peace is to the biblical authors, I think we should go to the next level. Unity. Somebody say unity. Unity Unity is a result of peace. Unity is a result of peace, a byproduct of the pursuit of wholeness and completeness in others. Unity forges complex and diverse elements into a whole, which is exactly the idea of shalom. We saw it over and over again with the brick wall depiction. There's complex and various parts, but when they're all put together doing what they're intended to do, we find shalom. And unity is the tangible sign of the peace we have with God and one another. Unity is the natural expression of a life at peace with God and at peace with others. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, that we should make every effort towards unity. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And before he then gives us the command to do, I want you to notice that the first two verses are what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be these first two verses and then live out of those two verses into what we do for one another. So verse 2 says, be completely humble. Are you humble? I'm the most humble. I don't know if y'all heard that. It's a great answer. (laughs) Yeah, we can pray with you and for you. Be gentle. How gentle are you? Bearing with one another. As we aim towards love, these are what are supposed to characterize our lives. So that, verse 3, let's look at it. Make every effort to keep what? Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here's what we need to consider this morning. In a world divided by political ideologies, economic gaps, relational abuses, and social distancing, what does unity actually mean? Well, we should ask a, maybe a clarifying question. Are we shooting for unity or uniformity? Paul never once says, Jesus never once says, you need to be A, B, and C, and D. And if you are not perfectly like Paul, meaning you're a missionary that travels in the Middle East or all over, you know what I'm saying, all over the, the uh, Greco-Roman world, then you're out of God's will or something weird like that. Paul never says that you need to be exactly like me. Instead, he says you need to be of the same mind. Subtle difference, but important to note. We're not supposed to be exactly like the person next to you. That silliness. God doesn't want uniformity because he doesn't want robots. He created you to be diverse on purpose because he loves you the way that you are. And uniqueness now stands as something beautiful that can be utilized by the Spirit to enhance what the church is supposed to be. Not uniformity. Unity is what we are supposed to be aiming after, being of the same mind. Philippians says, Philippians 2.2 says, Uh, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
He instructs us to keep our uniqueness. In fact, it's Paul who talks about the body of Christ as a metaphor for what we're supposed to be. He doesn't all want us to be one thing. He wants us to use our differing gifts, all working together on the same mission. And the key is that as the Holy Spirit indwells us, we work together to produce peace, one with God and one to another. And since we have God's Spirit living in us, we are then all connected in a really mysterious, wonderful way. I have a hard time putting my thumb on what connects me to you other than just saying it's the Spirit at work. It's the Spirit at work. And and listen, I don't have to know perfectly why and how that is, but I know it's a beautiful gift of God that I get to be a part of you wonderful people. And I know it's a gift for you to be a part of me. Oh, come on now. You didn't laugh at none of that. I'm such a gift to y'all. But we're all connected in a very spiritual way. And it's God's spirit who works that harmony, who works that wholeness, who works that unity within each one of us to create something beautiful. So everyone take a big breath. Let it out. We don't have to agree on everything. And we won't. We won't agree on everything, and that's okay. The devil wants you to believe that that is the worst thing that could possibly happen. The devil wants to take diversity and divide. But God imparts his spirit into diverse people in order to unite us despite our differences. Very different operations. The way that the devil works, the way that our flesh sometimes works, as compared to the way the Spirit wants us to be. Through the process of diverse people living in harmony with the Spirit, our diversity becomes our strength. Our diversity really is our strength. Each member adds to the body what they uniquely supply, not for individual benefits, but for the benefit of the whole body. See, Spirit-fueled people living Spirit-filled lives keep in step with the Spirit. They're able to see past the devil's schemes to divide. They aren't seeking peace and unity with those that are just like them. That's easy. That's so simple. It's easy to find peace and unity with those that you agree with on music and film and TV shows and whatever else it might be. It's easy to agree with those people and find unity. But instead, people who are spirit-fueled and spirit-filled will recognize the beauty of the spirit at work in a diverse people. And they will join in with the spirit as he directs their lives to produce the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a beautiful list, a beautiful list of what we are to become as the spirit works within us. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the results of a life led by Jesus Christ. Peace, love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. 
This is why Paul encouraged us to, to think of each person within this church and the, the church as a whole, actually, but this church particularly. Paul wants us to not think of others as dispensable or unimportant. No one in this room is dispensable or unimportant. That is the exact opposite of what Paul offers a picture of the church to be. Instead, each person offers a vital element in the strength of the whole. And he uses this beautiful body metaphor. Let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. You can't go without them. You need them. Verse 25. So that there should be no, what? Division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Unity through the bond of peace is what the world wants and has no idea how to achieve. You guys remember back in like March 15th, 16th, when everything got shut down? I know it feels like a long time ago. Uh, About six months ago we did that. And some celebrities put out a a video. Um, I think it was Gal Gal Gadot is her name. She's Wonder Woman. She and several people put out a a, a video um, of a song called Imagine by John Lennon. You guys know the song? Imagine all the people. You know the song? (laughs) There might be a sitar in that. I mean, it's it's the right time period. Uh, Why are we still singing the song Imagine? Have you thought about that? I mean, the song's like, what is it, 50 years old now? It was in the 70s when it came out? It was a 50-year-old song. Why are people still singing Imagine as if it's this, like, perfect epitome of what life should be or shouldn't be? I found that really interesting. Now, when they released the video, it was completely tone deaf. There's a bunch of millionaires telling us to suck it up, you know, essentially. I mean, and they got raked over the coals for it, absolutely. The internet just loved, I mean, had a field day with their video. It was horrible. And it was in like 15 different keys. It was terrible. They didn't even stay on the same. It was horrible. But why are we singing that song still? Because it's the progressive vision. It's what our world believes peace will be if we can just get rid of religion and we can get rid of being mean to one another and if we can just do our best to imagine what it would be like to live in utopia, then we can achieve it. The problem is it's never happened. And it won't ever happen. They don't have Christ. And what they're aiming at is uniformity, but not unity. They're aiming at, you need to think like me, be like me, act like me. And if you don't do those things, then we'll put you in jail. A a very nice jail. In Siberia. It never has worked. Because they don't have Christ What they're aiming at is university, and they can't take the diverse, complex pieces of life and put them together through the bond of love. They have no clue how to do it, and we, the church, should. Because we love one another, and we love Jesus. Unity is a result of people at peace 
with the Lord and striving for peace with each other. That is what unity is. So our church then becomes not just another obligation of life. I have to take the kids here. I have to run by the doctor here. I have to then go to church on Sunday. It's not just another thing on the checklist. It becomes a really vital element to our spiritual growth. Our church is supposed to be two things. Our church is a place to practice. Raise your hand. No, don't, never mind. don't do this. Do you agree with everybody on everything in this room? I had some laughter on that one. Yeah, it's true though. We don't all agree on everything. We have differences of opinions and we view things differently than someone else might. That should produce a little bit of tension. I don't agree with everybody here. I thought I did. Maybe you should get to know some of us. (laughs) Then you'll know that we don't agree on everything. That ought to produce some tension in you, the fact that we don't agree on everything. And you know why that's okay? Because you've not got it all figured out either. And neither does your neighbor, neither does your best friend. None of us in this room have it figured out. And so that tension should create within us humility and patience for one another. Grace and space. It's a nice way to put it. We give each other grace and space. Not all of us have it all figured out yet. And many of us don't even realize that we think we have it all figured out yet. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten us in the truth. The second thing that our church is to be is a picture of the power of God at work in people's lives. That's what our church is to be. Now, Again, we need to kind of dispense with some of the idea that church is this moment, and it it is. This is an important moment, vitally important moment. But church is more than a Sunday morning. It's a group of people linked by the Holy Spirit through a love for Jesus. And so when we leave here, we are to be a display of the power of God. And what is the power of God but the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the way that we display and honor and love one another and show humility and bear with our neighbors who borrow our tools and never bring them back. That is the kind of stuff that we're supposed to be doing. And so this church needs you. I mean, we need you. Uh, I'm not just saying that because it sounds nice. It's literally what the church is supposed to be. It's what Paul calls us to be. We need one another. And we all need each other. The church is vitalized by your participation and your contribution to the unity of one another. So that's why an inactive spiritual life is so harmful. Now we understand that it's harmful to me. Like if I'm not reading my Bible enough, if I'm not praying, if I'm not you know, growing in my faith or whatever, we understand that that's harmful to us personally. But sometimes we miss the fact that it's harmful to those who need me. It, oftentimes it's most uh, imminently or immediately displayed in your family when you haven't been following the Lord lately and you get a little more yelly at the kids or I don't know what your thing is. I, I don't know. Maybe you get quieter. I have no clue what it is. I know for me, I get a little more yelly at the house when I'm not uh, going after the Lord well. And I know that it immediately impacts the people in my home. That ought to be a little bit of a carry in the can- canary in the canal. Wow, that was hard to say. Canary in the, in the canal in the mine shaft, whatever it's going to be, it doesn't matter. The canary would be, in the metaphor, in the mine shaft, it would tell you if there's dangerous gases that will kill you. 
that you can't see that are in there. Listen, how are you treating your families at home? That should be a red flag for you. How are you treating your coworkers? How are you viewing your neighbors around you? Are they annoyances or are they opportunities to share the gospel and impact people for love? Those ought to be red flags about who and what we are and how we are showing and displaying the power of God because an inactive spiritual life doesn't just impact me, it impacts those around me and it impacts this body. Now, what doesn't impact people is perfect theology or better speaking skills or the best programs. Listen, we've got all of that in our church. We have the best speaking, we have the best theology, 100%. But that's not the power of God. The power of God is the spirit at work within us to live and be like Jesus Christ. That is the power of God. The power of God is the gospel becoming evident and real in my life and going out from me. So what impacts people is the Spirit's displaying of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the power of God displayed in you as you live out from, the, from where you are now. So this week, we're going to get really practical next week. This week, what I want you to consider and I want you to think about is are you at peace with God? It's an important question. Are you at peace with God? Are you striving after that relationship? Are you going after the Lord with sincerity and fervor? Or are you really relaxed right now or just don't care? And wherever you are in that spectrum, the question is the same. Are you at peace with God? Now, absolutely, there's a salvation question within there. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, we'll talk about that in a minute because that's kind of a foundational piece. But then walking in peace, walking in wholeness and in completeness every day as we read our Bibles and pray and invest in our communities and serve others well, where are you with that? Are you at peace with God? Are you striving for peace in your homes? Are you striving for peace within those in this particular local body? Again, this is the practice ground. If we're not at peace with one another here, we're not going to be at peace with others out there. And so we have to be striving for peace. Peace with God will naturally produce peace with others. Peace with others will produce unity in the spirit. Unity is what we each desire and what our world desperately needs. And all of this comes from the need for each of us to live out our vocation the way that God designed us to be. We're to be image bearers who do for him and are like him on his terms. If you haven't made a conscious decision to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life yet, listen, you're not at peace with God then. But you can be you can be at peace with him. I want to go back and read that Colossians passage really quickly. Let me find it in my notes. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21 is vitally important. Once you were alienated and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now Jesus has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his 
sight. This is the gospel message, that we can have peace with God through a trusting and devoted relationship where I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. If you've not made that declaration, if you've not confessed your sins and said that I've not done everything right, but I want to follow you and I want to be like Jesus every single day and I want, to, I want this unity thing, this peace thing we're talking about, you can make that decision today. Here in a moment I'm going to pray. And you make the words your own. What's important is not the words. What's important is if you mean it from a sincere place in your heart as you accept God's direction and devote yourself to a relationship with him. Now, what happens, yes, is that he forgives your sins. And then Christians in the room, is it a perfect life after that? No, it's, it's still a really similar life, but it's different in a lot of ways because God's going to begin to transform you. And he's going to change you from what you are now into who you can become through the power of the Spirit working in your life. All that's required of you is trusting devotion, allegiance to Jesus as Lord. If you want to make that decision, you can stay in your seats and I'll pray and you can make the words your own or you can find one of the elders in the back of the room here in a moment and you can speak with them if you'd like to. I would love to pray with you and for you if you'd like to make that decision. If you need to join this church, I don't even know what our new process is, but come tell us. October 30th. October 30th. 7 o'clock. Discover Cornerstone. I think Chris Yancey's probably leading that or somebody is and we would love for you to be a part September 30th, first, one of the numbers, and you can come and join and be a part of our church because, listen, we don't just want to talk about unity here. We want to practice it with you. And we want to be devoted to you just as you devote to us. And we want to walk with you as you grow to become more like Christ. Again, if you need to pray to accept Jesus as Lord of your life today, let's go ahead and do that now as we close. Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for the cross I thank you that you have seen me and know me personally and you've even seen my sin and yet you still loved me despite it. I recognize that I've always not followed you or or done everything right according to the Bible. I confess those things, but now I'm asking for your forgiveness And I'm asking you to change my heart and my life. I'm asking you, just like the video showed, to give me your life, to reconcile me, to bring me into peace and relationship with you. I thank you and I believe that you've done this and I declare that you are now Lord of my life and I want to follow you and I want to be like you and I want to be changed to become more like Jesus every single day. Help me in this. Help me to follow you and help me to find uh, uh, satisfaction and peace and love through you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed something like that, please, 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 please let one of us know. Uh, We would love to then partner with you, get you a Bible in your hand, and walk with you as we show you what it looks like to follow Jesus now more fully. I'd like to pray one more time for those of us in the room who are already following Jesus. I'd like to pray a special prayer over us for peace and unity within our midst and wherever we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you yourself are peace for us. Jesus became our peace and broke down the dividing wall of hostility between us and others. And now we instead get to follow you and we get to love others well. 
Help us to view our diversity and our differences of, of opinion as strengths and not as weaknesses. This week, we denounce the schemes of the devil and instead we want to walk in step with the Spirit, finding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because against any of those things, there is no law. Help us to be like you this week. Help us to shoot for peace and unity with you first and then with others wherever we go. Father, we love you so much, and I pray over this room, God, that they would be people of peace, peacemakers, unifiers. Help us to find creative and wonderful ways to impact our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and each other. We love you. It's all in your glorious and precious name.